Men, we're under attack. On every side, evil forces encircle us, and they desire to tear down and destroy that which we stand upon. Our families, our faith, our forefathers are being overthrown on every side. Just as in the day of Isaiah, we are witnessing justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets. And just as it is today, the reason we find is that there was no man, there was no intercessor. How long will we allow this injustice to take place? How long will we relinquish the removal of righteousness? How far will we allow the truth to fall in our streets? Where are the men of courage who are called to fight for the faith? Where are the mighty men who will raise a fist and declare enough? Where are the fearless few who race towards giants, who swing jawbones, who crumbled walled cities, who plagued evil rulers, who walked on water, and who carried crosses? What if God's plan for every man was to take that stand? What if each man were willing to be God's man in battle? What if God has called you to be the one to charge the enemy's camp? What if he has commissioned you to boldly believe and fight fearlessly on his behalf? We are calling all men who are ready to return to the resolute and rigid righteousness of our faith. Men who possess a power and who carry a courage to stand for God's word in a world bent on destroying it. Take up the mighty banner of belief, and like our Savior, may we have courage to be a mighty man. Alright, so how many of you know what the term middleman means? Do you know what it means to be a middleman? Uh, so usually this term's used to describe a person who kind of is the go-between, right? Between someone who has a need and someone who can provide that need. They're, they're the middleman. So for example, Walmart could be considered a middleman. If you want to buy a can of Folgers coffee or a box of Twinkies or some Levi jeans, the best way to do so is to go to Walmart. And they're going to provide for you the product of someone else. It's a middleman. If you want to buy a brand new Ram truck, you're going to have a hard time going to the headquarters in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Instead, you're going to go to a dealership around here. They didn't make the truck. They didn't manufacture the truck. They just have the truck to give to you. And that's what it means to be a middleman. Do we, do we get the concept of a middleman? What I want to take a look at this morning is that according to God's design, by his intent and by his plan for mankind, as mighty men, we're called first to be a middleman. How many of you know, we've talked this morning a lot, how many of you know that your families have needs? Mine does, maybe, maybe yours are all set. <laughs> My family has needs. That little girl doesn't stop having needs. She always needs dad to do something. I love it. How about your spouse? Does your sp Brother Richard shared with us uh, his spouse's needs yesterday with the garden. Our spouse has needs. Our family has needs. And we've looked at the needs of our families a lot this, this month. And yet what I want to challenge us today is that we know they have needs, and we know we have to provide for their needs 
But how are we going about doing that? And that's what I want to take a look at today. And so as usual, a lot in our, uh, our, our class here, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're going to go back to the garden. We're going to take a look at God's original plan playing out as he is making a middleman. We're going to take a look at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, and you're going to notice this looks very different from what you read in your Bible, and the reason is I have given you snippets. It's not the full 30 verses, all right? You're welcome to go read that. But this is what it says. In the beginning, God created, God moved, God said, let there be, and God saw, and God called, and God made, and God set, and God blessed. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb of every herb of bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I, God, have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Looking at these verses here, can anyone tell me, who does all of the work? God. Who who has the ability to speak and create everything here in Genesis? God. Who who has limitless creative abilities? God. Who, Who provides every single detail of every single need that will be ever had upon this newly formed planet? God, who provides every conceivable need that man will eventually have? God, God does. Look at all of these actions here that God has. God saw, God created, God moved, God said, God called, God set, God blessed, God gave. It's a tongue twister. If there's one easy conclusion by reading the very first chapter of the Bible, it's this. God did, man didn't. Is that fair? Is that a fair summary of Genesis 1? God did, man didn't. Because look who shows up coincidentally after all the work is completed. Guess who shows up on the scene? Man. Ever met one of those guys? Ever met one of those guys who show up after the work's completely done? That's us, guys. That's how God created it, right? Man shows up after everything's done, completed, perfected, fixed. Then... Man shows up. God places him in the garden after creation, not before, not during, but after creation's over with, God places Adam in the garden. Why do you think that is? Have you ever start to, have you ever stopped to wonder? Why did God not in verse one say, let there be, creates the heavens and the earth, verse two creates man of that earth, and then goes on in verse three to make the light? Why did God not make man then? Could it be that God knew Within man, within the propensities of man, we cannot help but to fix what we see around us. Had God created the heavens and the earth and then man, man would have been in the garden, tinkering in the garage, trying to find how to light the place, right? He'd have been trying any way he could to figure out how to fix what's wrong. There's no light, God, we forgot something, I gotta fix this. Am I telling the truth? Am I right? That's why God knew, I gotta fix the, I gotta create man after it's all done. After creation, right? Afterwards, then I'll put you in the middle of it. And what we find in Genesis 1 is that God knew better. God knew that we couldn't help ourselves but to try to fix, but to try to do, but to try to provide. But notice what God proves in doing so. Because God created everything there was, and then He places man inside of what He created. What exactly did Adam have the ability of providing firsthand to Eve? 
nothing. Everything was already... He couldn't say, I, I did this, Eve. There was no ability in Adam to give Eve anything firsthand. God had already done it all. What role did Adam have in meeting the needs of his family? None. God makes a big underlying statement here in Eden. In the garden, which is the model of perfection, God's big original plan, God says this, you can't, but I have. God is saying, I've done all the work. I've provided and given everything that you will ever need for you and for your family. Now here, it's yours. All you have to do is believe me and trust me. Adam couldn't boast of creating. He couldn't boast of saying. He couldn't boast of calling, making, setting, blessing, giving anything to Eve firsthand in and of himself. Adam could boast of no accomplishments, no abilities, no provision in and of himself. Adam was capable of doing nothing. Making nothing. Starting nothing. Finishing nothing. Adam shows up on the scene, and God's already done all the work. Perfectly. Man was able to do nothing in and of himself, and this was the way that God intended for it to be. You can't, but he did. If you've been in our Steadfast steadfast Studies class, you know all too well what uh, our our theme is becoming. We all know too well what John 15.5 says. Big, bold letters. Jesus proclaims, you can do nothing. You can can do nothing. Just like Adam, just like every man that's ever lived since, though your family has needs, though they're counting on you to supply for them, though you face difficulties and struggle and you want to fix it, Jesus humbles us down to our rightful size and Jesus says, you, the man, are capable of doing nothing. 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 But I have to be a dad. Well, Jesus says you can do nothing. I have to be a husband. Jesus says, you can do nothing. I have to work at the job. I have to put food on the table. I have to fix the car. I got to work on the hot water tank. I got to mow the lawn. I got to pay for kids' college. I got to fix this problem. I got to solve this predicament. And Jesus says, you can do in and of yourself nothing, nothing, nothing. And what we find is just like in Genesis, the reason that we can do nothing is because everything that needs to happen is completed in him. This is the rest of John 15:5. I, Jesus, am the vine. You, men, are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. As Christians, as men, we are capable of doing nothing. Yet, like Adam in the garden, what needs to flow from us comes directly from God. A branch can do nothing. It can't live. It can't breathe. It can't produce fruit in and of itself, but it can connect to the vine. And when it does, suddenly every need of that branch is met fully. Stop trying to be a dad. Stop trying to be a husband. Stop trying to be a grandpa or a pastor or a deacon or a son or a coach or whatever you are. Stop trying to do it yourself because without him, you can do nothing. All you are to do is connect to the brand, connect to the vine, and it'll flow through you. So, if this is the case, what exactly is the role of a man according to the blueprint of Eden? Because God does give Adam a job in Eden, amen? There's a job given to Adam in Eden, and it's the same job that we have. A branch 
not the vine, but the branch of a tree is where the fruit is produced, right? Have you ever seen a tree? So we, we see the trunk of a tree, right? We know what a trunk looks like. We see the trunk. Have you ever seen an apple just sticking to the trunk, no branch connected? No, that's not, that's not possible. Why? Well, because you have to have a branch for there to be fruit. Do we see the picture here? We do have a job. That trunk needs a branch for there to be fruit. Guess what you get to be? Not the trunk, not the vine, not the fruit. You're the middleman. You're the one between. You're the one that allows for God to flow through you for there to be fruit. Because without him, you can do nothing. This is the order. This is the instruction that God gives to Adam in Eden. This is his plan for all of us. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. 28 verses into the beginning of the Bible, and God says to man, you're not to provide, you're not to make, you're not to force, you're not to muster up a plan, you're not to fix it, but God's plan for man was that you would supply what he provides. God provides it, you supply it. Middleman. The word subdue and dominion here you go all the way through all the original Hebrew, really boils down to bring. That's really what it all boils down to. God's order to man, God's command is men, bring what I've made to your family. Bring the herbs, bring the earth, bring the plants, bring the animals, bring it all into your subjection, bring it all into your life in order to meet your needs. I don't want you to make herbs, I don't want you to fix the plants, I don't want you to try to fix the earth, but bring what I have provided into the lives of your family. After all the creating that we find in Genesis 1, right? All that God created, God created. All the creation that God makes in Genesis 1. Imagine imagine Eve looks up to Adam, right? They're in Eden. They're in the perfection of paradise. And Eve looks up to her perfect man. And she says, oh, Adam, I'm hungry. Has your wife ever said that to you? I know you guys don't cook. Me and Tom, you know, we would be the only cooks here. My wife tells me she's hungry. She may be watching this she, once in a while. I'll just say that. Oh, Adam, I'm hungry. What are you going to do about it? My stomach's growling. If nothing else, I got your attention by my very perfect impression of Eve. Even got CJ to smile. How ridiculous would it be? Get this with me, guys. We're in Eden. We're in the perfection of paradise. God has created everything. And, and Eve looks up to Adam and says, I have a problem. I'm hungry. What are you going to do about it? How stupid would it be? At that point, for Adam to try, in and of himself, to create food for her. How stupid would it have been for him to reach down, pick up a pile of dirt, and try to form a banana? Right? He, he contorts his face, he twists it, and tries to, tries to speak a mango into existence. That would be the most ridiculous thing we could ever read. Instead, what is Adam to do? Go to what God has provided... Supply it to Eve. God did it all. God made it all. Every need she was ever going to have, it's in the storehouse, it's in the, it's in the pantry of Eden that God created. God says, men, your job is to go bring it to them. Go bring, go supply what he provided. Knowing God had created everything, knowing that God had supplied for every conceivable need, the only logical and obvious course of action for Adam was... For God to provide and for him to supply. 
Do we get that in the perfection of paradise in Eden? Every need was met by God. Every need. Not man. God. Every single need was provided for. And all that man had to do was supply what God had provided. If Eve was hungry, Adam had one job. Supply her with what God had provided him. If the kids were sick, hypothetically, his responsibility was to supply what God had provided. Give them what God had given you. Be the middleman. It sounds simple, and it sounds too good to be true. But it really all boils down to this. Do you believe God? That's that's really what it boils down to. God said in verses 29 and 30 to Adam, I have made it all. I have provided it all. Everything you need to eat, every, every need you'll have, it's there in Eden. I did that. Give it to them. Do you believe God? That's really what it boils down to. God told Adam, I've given you all you need. Now supply it. To your family. Mighty men, middle man, live a life that trusts God will provide because he said he will provide. But how many know that the perfection of paradise doesn't stick around very long? In fact, only three chapters into the beginning of existence, we find the mistaken middle man appear on the scene. So sin enters into the world. But what I want us to consider in new light is what really took place that day. We, we know the sin, right? The tangible sin was eating that apple or fruit, right? We know that was the tangible sin. But I want to look at the, the underlying issue here. Look with me at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit, therefore, and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Had God provided for every need they would ever have? Yes. Did God miss a need? Did God forget to create something? No. God fully and completely created everything they would need, and yet man and woman, persuaded by Satan found a place of provision outside of God. What Satan really says is what you need can be found outside of God, outside of what he's given you. Sure, God's given you all those trees, all those herbs, all those plants, but if you really want what you're looking for, well, that need can be found in this tree. All you have to do is take of it, provide it for yourselves, instead of allowing God to provide for you. And God says, all, hear all of this, every single need provided for, and instead of choosing a dependence upon God to provide for their needs, man chose independence from God to provide for their needs. I want you to take a look at this. Wow, we jumped. How'd that happen? Man chose poison over promise. 
And this is our problem. Man chose to fix for themselves. Man chose to meet their own needs, to muster their own strength, to exert their own efforts to do what needed to be done. Provide from outside of God. This was the first sin. This was the fall of all of mankind, was literally taking matters into man's own hands to provide for themselves independently from God instead of dependently upon God, choosing what they could make happen over what God had already made happen. Adam and Eve and every single one of us choose to live a life of wasted efforts. We try to fix We try to work, we try to make, we try to labor, we try to create, we try to force it to happen. We think we can. When God has said, you never could, this was the original sin. Poison over promise. We say, well, I'm a a big boy, I can do it myself. God, it's it's nice that you provided for all of my needs. It's swell that you gave us all that we could ever need, but I'm going to fix this myself. I'm going to solve the problem myself. I'm going to meet the need on my own. I'm a big boy, I'm independent. And I can handle this as we chomp down on the forbidden, futile fruit that will poison our families and our lives. But hey, at least we tried to fix it. Man, if our, if our family has a problem, too often it is not to our knees that we go first. It's not to God that we turn to in order to provide. Our first response when there is a need just like Adam is to seek self for solutions. None of you are looking me in the eyes right now, not a single one of you, but I know every one of you are guilty, 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 guilty. Every one of you are guilty. Family has a problem. Where am I going to go? Me, myself, I, the three of us can handle this, God. Thank you, Brother Steve. This is the truth. This is how we operate, men. And yet, this is what led to poison in the family. This is what led to the the downfall of all of eternity and all of mankind, deciding we can handle it. We can do it. Man was created to find our provision in what God can provide and nowhere else. Nowhere else. The responsibility of a man is to supply what God has provided and yet... We look just as ridiculous trying to create our own solutions as Adam would trying to speak food onto Eve's plate. Mighty men were intended to be dependent upon God, constantly reliant upon what He has provided into our lives. Where do you turn first for provision? I want you to truly ask yourself that question. Where do you go first when there's a need in your family? Because mighty men have this conviction, this steadfast belief that God has said it. He has given everything we will need, and I'm going to him to provide for my family. What we find, though, in our lives, and what we find through the rest of the Bible, the rest of the 65 books, right, what we find is that God continues to make this point to man. I have given you everything you need. All that you have to do is believe me and bring it into your life. And this is the desire that God has for each and every one of us when we face a problem or predicament. Each time that we face this, he wants us to make a decision to believe him. And our faith 
And his ability will grow. Or in other words, this is the process that God uses in maturing a middleman. Placing us in situations where we must choose resistance or reliance, independence or dependence, faith or failure. I want to take a look at an account in Genesis again of a man who over and over and over in his lifetime, this man has been tried and tested over and over and over and over. And time after time after time again, this man faces a problem. He faces a need. He faces a trial. And over and over and over again, this man sees the provision of God come through. And it's through this process of maturing him that this man comes to this concrete conviction, this solid stance, this firm faith that God will do what he has said. He will provide. So much so that the New Testament calls this man the father of faith. Because he believed God. And he operated as if what God had said was true. Take a look at Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Tough story. We all know it. God tells Abraham, go. Abraham goes. But a problem arises that will ultimately harm his family. Do we get that? His son's about to be murdered. Would you consider that a bit of an issue? Right? My daughter lost her, like, Lego in the car, and it's a meltdown, right? He's about to be murdered. I would consider that a need. I would consider that a problem, right? He's about to be slaughtered on an altar, knife in the... Where, yeah, this is a problem, guys. A problem arises that will ultimately harm his family, and Abraham has two choices here. Solve it or submit. Come up with a solution or surrender. Be independent upon himself or dependent upon God to provide. Most of us, CJ, I thought of you, most of us would be automatically, right, God says to do this, we'd be Googling how to get around, like, you know, Googling, where's the answer? How can we do this? We'd be trying to make an Isaac replica. Oh, I promise God, this is it, right? We're trying to find a solution. How can I fix this? How can I make this where I can do what God says but not give up my son? Where's the loophole here? And yet, Abraham believed God. When God had said that he would make Abraham the father of many nations. Abraham believed God when God had said that Abraham would have a son. He believed God would provide because he had said he would provide and because he had always provided. As Abraham and his soon-to-be slaughtered son head up the mountain, they're carrying the wood and the knife and all of the pieces of a burnt offering, Isaac has a problem. He's about to be killed by his dad. 
Isaac walking alongside his dad, the man that he trusted, the man that he looked up to, the man that had always provided for him, the man who oversaw his well-being. Isaac looks up to dad and says, uh, dad, where's the lamb? And because Abraham had an unwavering faith, because he believed God at his word, look at what Abraham says to his son. God. Not Abraham. God will provide. We see Abraham have this firm faith, this solid stance, this bold belief that regardless of what the circumstances say, no matter what the situation screams, no matter how perplexing the problem, Abraham has this constant conviction that God will provide. And we find that Abraham, he operates in obedience as if he truly believes God. You got to get this, guys. He moves ahead. He marches forward, presses on up the mountain in obedience to God. Was the problem still there as they walked? Yeah. Was the predicament still in play as they marched? Yeah. Yet Abraham had faith that God would provide, and they moved ahead. Abraham operates in obedience, believing with unwavering faith that God would provide, even up until the point that he holds a knife over his son. Abraham that knew one way or another, Abraham and Isaac were going to go on living. Whether, whether he rose Isaac from the dead, whether he gave Isaac a, a knife-proof suit at the last second, whether he turned the knife to putty as he plunged it, Abraham had a conviction that God had said it, he believed it, and that's good enough for me. Abraham knew that God will provide. Not me, not Abraham, but God will provide, and so we will march forward. We will operate in obedience. Me, Isaac, our family, we will march forward because God will provide. And once you know it, because Abraham operated in obedience, just in the nick of time, a ram's wandering around on the hillside. And just like that, the ram is snagged. Just the thing that Abraham and his family needed stuck in a bush, placed there, provided there, provision from God. Who made the ram? God. Who snagged, snug, snagged, snot? Who caught the ram? God. God did. God provided Abraham with everything that his family would need. Not Abraham. God did. And all Abraham had to do was believe God and operate in obedience. Abraham had to press forward, continue walking up the mountain, operating in obedience in order to find what God had provided. I want you to imagine if they just start going up the mount. They get halfway there and Abraham's like, nope, gets butterflies, right? Gets, gets weak knees. Nope, we're not, we're going to stop here. Imagine he stops three fourths of the way up. What would have happened? He never would have made it to the ram. He never would have made it to what God had provided. He had to continue pressing on. He had to continue marching forward, continuing operating in obedience in order to find what God had given to his family for their need. It was because he operated in obedience that God supplied every need of Abraham's family. Abraham's job was not to fix it. It was not to find a way around it. It was not to muster a solution. Abraham's job was simply 
to supply his family with what God had provided. Abraham, in verse 13, goes and he takes the ram and he supplies it as the sacrifice. Abraham believed God would provide, and when God did, in fact, provide, Abraham supplies what God had provided to his family. Man, this is our calling. This is what it means to be a mighty man. This is what it means to be the middleman. Believe God, believe his word so much that you're willing against all odds to operate in obedience to what he has said in every situation. When you or your family have a need, operate in obedience to God. Don't try to fix it in your might. Don't try to seek your solutions. Don't consult yourself. Don't be independent, but believe God. Depend upon him. And when God does provide... Supply that to your family. This is what he designed men for. This is what he matures us towards. Every predicament building us into mightier, more mature middle men who with each problem believes God all the more. Notice what Abraham calls God at the end of this situation. Jehovah Jireh. The word simply means God will provide. Abraham literally says, who is God? God is, will provide. That's who he literally is. It's his nature. It's his attribute. He provides. He can't help himself but to provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. If we will let him be. Do you really believe that? Whatever situation you and your family are facing right now, whatever predicament you found yourselves in, are you operating in obedience We may not know how, we may not know when, or, but we operate with the conviction knowing that he will come through. Just like Adam, just like Abraham, just like every man ever since we were placed in this world by God, who is much greater than us, so that we can supply what he has provided. We don't create, we don't make, we can do nothing, we can solve nothing, we can fix nothing, yet we can believe God. And what he has said, operate in obedience, supply to your family what he provides. Stop trying, stop supplying, not what you can do, not what you can muscle or muster up, but supply what God provides. I'm coming to learn more and more every single day of my life. Josh Sorrell cannot be a dad. He cannot be a husband. He cannot be an employee. He cannot be a son. He cannot be a friend. He cannot be a mentor. He cannot be a leader. He cannot be a coordinator. He cannot do anything. But it's a good thing because I don't have to. God said he would do it if I'll let him, if I'll believe him. He is supplying. He is providing. Will we trust him? Will we believe him? This is what it means to be a mighty man. This is what it means to be a middle man. This is what he created you for. Perfect shape, perfect form, perfect design. You, middleman. That's what he manufactured. That's what he made. Will you let him? Would you stand with me again? Let's end with prayer today. Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, God, may we just still our hearts and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that every need is provided in you. Oh God, how you are so good to us, Lord, how you truly are sufficient. Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God who provides. God, how we we thank you for that.
But God, the next time we run into a problem, we try to fix it, we try to come up with a solution, we frantic, Lord, when everyone's looking to us for the answer, God, may we have a conviction that you're enough. And God, may we supply what you give. God, help us as we go away, Lord, just to just to believe this, to remind, remember this, Lord, just to apply this to our lives. God, help us to be that middleman. Help us to supply what you provide, God. Lord, you're good and you're sufficient. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. Lord, how we love you, how we trust you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for another session of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. We hope that your soul has been stirred and your faith has been fortified in what God has called each of us to be as a mighty man. Men who are up for the challenge are invited to take part live, online, or in person in our monthly meetings of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. You can also, of course, catch the video of each session or the podcast as a follow-up. For more information about the Sand Hill Men's Ministry, to attend our next meeting, or for additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com. Thanks so much for joining us today as we continue on in Christ.